I'm Christina. And I'm Megan. And this is The Aftermath of Sex. I'm a certified nurse midwife. And I'm a registered nurse. And this is not medical advice. Hello. Hi. Christina's like singing. How fucking is your <laughs> I can't help myself. I'm excited because I, know. I haven't seen Megan in I know. so long. It has. It's been weeks. It's been weeks. Yeah. And but you've been spending time with your family. Yes. We've been adventuring like tours. Where did you guys go? Well, f- first they came here. My aunt and uncle came here and we, um, Brandon took us down the river on our cataract and then, um, we went to Denali and we went on the nature uh, wilderness tour okay. on the bus. Uh-huh. We got back to like, I don't know, mile. How far did you go? Did you go? Mile on- 19 or something. Okay. That means nothing to me. Did you get to the part where the bus feels like it's going to fall off of the mountain? <laughs> <laughs> so because there was a mudslide that occurred there, you can't get very far back into the park okay. because of the road damage. Oh no. So at no point did I feel like my life was. In, in danger in danger no okay. and we saw wildlife and that was oh, lovely really, um yeah cool. and then we went whitewater rafting down the ninana river oh fun which was fun and then we came home and we did a turn and burn so we went we got home at like 8 p.m went to the store bought groceries reloaded and stocked our camping stuff and then headed to valdez oh fun and um my aunt and uncle left uh, um on a ferry Mm-hmm. to go to Whittier and then took the train to Anchorage. And then we stayed in Valdez for a couple of days. Okay. And we took um, the Stan Stevens charter mm-hmm. to look at wildlife in the ocean. And we oh, saw cool. three orcas oh, that wow. are part of a pod that is it's a dying pod because of oh. the oil spill back oh. in 89. Wow. That was a long time ago. I know. Yeah. These, these whales are 55 years old. Wow. And did you know that a mama whale and her son, often the son will die close to the time that the mama whale does because they don't want to live without their mom? What? I know. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> I learned this on the thing. Wow. Yeah. So, but this. Pod, Wait, so they stay with their mom? The yes. males stay with their mom? Yes. Wow. Yeah. And so like the woman is the alpha in. In their pod. their pod. Okay, I understand because mm-hmm. they're a pod. Yeah. Okay. And so interestingly, this pod, there's a, it's a pod of six, and we saw three of the six, but because all of their birthing females died from the oil spill, this is the last six in that pod. So it was really special to see them, which is really cool. Wow. I'm confused, though. That was a really long time ago. Yes. Like they didn't have they didn't have any other females? Correct. Oh, wow. Or their females didn't make it or, because of that stuff. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah. It sounded like a pretty like a pretty gnarly event that occurred. And it seemed like maybe there was fatigue error. And you'll have to look it up and look at the history. But it was really what fascinating the... to hear about because you can blame people really quickly. But when you think about the climate uh-huh. of the, um, you know, the climate here, it's like, winter in Valdez. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so there's yeah. more to it than, mm-hmm. you know, just kind of trying to picture all of the hurdles that they have mm-hmm. and trying, but there was probably some deficit in proper care. Yeah. There was definitely yeah. time delay. Yeah. So it's interesting. So it if is. you don't know about it, you should go read I do. It. I Well, I remember when it happened. Yeah. Um, Cause I was a child and my dad actually went and worked to go clean it up a little yeah. bit i remember him going down i it was a big deal when it, it was a huge deal yeah and it's still um kind of is well clearly if it's yeah. affecting whale pods so many years later decades well it's well because all of their females died so these yeah they these just, just continue on and when they eventually die they're this pod it's just be gonna be gone yeah that's sad yeah yeah but it was really cool to see them yeah and then we also saw the glacier which was cool and there was some um caving that happened which is where the glacier falls off uh-huh. while we were there oh cool it's really loud yeah it's like i think it's called caving i don't know i don't even know but um and then we saw some seals and of oh, course sea otters which are always really cute to me yeah and then 
the what are they called the sea lions yeah those things are crazy looking wow they just love to put their heads up and then they like to sun and stuff cool yeah so then we did that and then we drove out to mccarthy the next mm-hmm. day which is like a little old abandoned um, town copper mine oh uh, back in mccarthy and so you have to drive three hours on a really weird road mm-hmm. back into a national park okay and um there's like national park land and normal land and when you get back there you go across a river and it's like these two little is mccarthy and, McKen- um, and kennecott and it's like the mine is still there and they're trying to repair it because oh, now cool. it's a historic land site yeah yeah cool so we did that and then we went swimming in liberty falls which is just um a waterfall oh. but Corlin, my husband and i we walked up the waterfall and there's like a pool up in there Oh, it's a fun. pretty big waterfall. Cool. And they have they have fun. I waded through it up to my my thighs, but I did not submerge my yeah. body. They was did. it cold? It was very cold. Yes, I bet. Glacier water. Right. <laughs> so, it's like, oh my goodness. Yeah, but that was fun. Oh, that sounds like a great Alaskan adventure. We had a, a good time, and now it's time to get back to reality. It's true. School's coming. I know. School's coming. It's around the corner. It is. I go back. Well, by the time this publishes i'll be back at it yeah Oof, yeah. i know it's a lot that's all right i'm excited to see the kids yeah i like they're my favorite part the kids well that's good <laughs> otherwise you want to be a teacher right? <laughs> um my favorite part is well all of it i love my drum yeah so i'm excited to get back to yeah and some babies taking care of mamas and families yeah mm-hmm. it's a good time so speaking I of, I wanted um, to dive into a topic that was like fresh and easy. And listen, natural induction of labor methods <laughs> was probably not the choice for that because I have two parts, mm-hmm. and it's just a lot to weed through. Yeah, when there's so much out there mm-hmm. about so many different things, right? So I'm gonna break this up into two parts. Okay, and um, we'll just see what you think at the end. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm excited. You want me to start? Start. Okay. Um, so when you're talking about induction of labor in particular, it's different than cervical ripening. And I think that often those two things get very confused. Sure. So when you talk about cervical ripening, I always tell people to think about a fruit and it really bothers some people to think about their body parts Mm -hmm. ripening and getting softer. I think it's a really great metaphor. It really is. So like if you have a pear, for example, Mm -hmm. and it's hard as a rock, you just picked it. It's not at all ripe. Mm -hmm. It's firm. Yeah. There's no give to it at all. Mm -hmm. There's no squish in it, if you will. And then as it gets riper, it becomes softer and squishy and it's malleable almost. Mm -hmm. The same thing happens with your cervix. Yeah. And so sometimes people do things naturally to try to induce labor, but really what's happening is ripening their cervix so that when labor starts, it's more self-primed. Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes these tricks that are called natural induction methods do actually induce labor, but sometimes it's just a ripening Mm -hmm. and we shouldn't be disappointed in ripening because yeah. that affords you better outcomes with less intervention later. Right. So I think that it's really important to um, delineate between those two things. Okay. Okay. So um, the <laughs> so when you're feeling a cervix, there are many things. Meg gets laughing at me already. <laughs> I don't, there are many things that we're feeling, right? And so we're we're checking dilation. So this is how open are you? Um, and that is a little bit subjective. It's it's very subjective. On a on a, <laughs> a previous episode, Megan talked about inserting three fingers. Oh, I'm gosh. not really sure what you know. It happened so, one time, okay? One time. <laughs> so when you're actually um, checking for dilation. A lot of times people find that as like the absolute, if I'm dilated, things are happening. If I'm not, nothing's happening. And that is farther from the truth. Yeah. Um, Farthest from the truth Mm -hmm. is what I should say. So what we generally do is we take two fingers and we put it inside the um, cervix, if we can get two fingers in. Right. And um, 
we see how many centimeters you are per our judging by our fingers, right? So that's where the subjective bit is. I have a bigger finger. Um, and so if my finger goes through very, very tightly, it's probably just one centimeter. Yeah. But if my one finger fits all the way through um, and there's it's not tight, it's two centimeters. My natural peace sign is seven centimeters, whereas Megan's natural peace sign is it's probably six. Yeah, six centimeters. And so if you can find your natural, so if you're holding, everybody's holding their fingers. Right, the fingers are now. Um, that's how you can tell, you know, where you are yeah. um, when you're checking the cervix. And we're going mm -hmm. from one side to the other mm -hmm. side of the inside of the cervix. Yeah. So it's interesting. I like to use the little boards that we have around that have, yeah. you know, the different actual centimeters. You know, it was very useful too when I was first learning to check yeah. a cervix. You would like remember where your two fingers were and go out to the board and put them against the board and see, you know, it's really, but it's a good tool for uh, patients too, to yeah. visualize, okay, this is how open it needs to get. Yeah. Um, the other thing that we look at is, or feel for, is position. So is um, the position super posterior? So meaning behind the baby's head, we have to reach behind. Or is it on the side of baby's head? Or is it right in front of the baby's head? And that um, really matters. Uh, effacement is another thing. So this is the thickness of the cervix. So 0% means that you are thick. You're like four to five centimeters thick. Um, and hundred percent means you're paper thin. And it's amazing to think that your body can go from four to five centimeters thick or in length to like paper, paper, paper thin. It is. It is. The whole thing about it is pretty amazing. Yeah. The other thing that we think about, um, and it doesn't really pertain to the cervix as much as the, um, station of the baby's head, but it kind of tells us, um, where babies engage. Mm -hmm. So minus three babies floating around in the uterus. There's no engagement. Zero station is when the head or the, the widest circumference of the infant head is at the ischial spines and then plus three. So you notice it goes from minus three all the way to plus three um, is crowning essentially. Right. Um, and then the other thing that we think about, which is also subjective, is consistency. So is it firm, medium, or soft? And think that fruit. Mm -hmm. So is it a soft consistency or is it harder than a rock? And those things will give us what we call a bishop score, mm -hmm. which we used to use bishop scores much more regularly than we do now. Um, but there's, it's still valid. Uh -huh. um, it's just less formally used, I feel like, at least where we are. So yeah. probably some places probably use it more effectively than we do. I don't think it like drives interventions and decisions most of the time. It Unless does, you think about. It does, but not formally. For, yeah. Right. Sure. And so we can say, oh, this might take some time. We need to ripen before we right. induce. But I always have that thought process. Like I right. really think we need to ripen before we induce. But mm -hmm. it just kind of depends on who you are and what you are, right? Sure. So um, the bishop score itself can kind of calculate or help predict how close, quote unquote, you are to labor, which is super subjective, but it's also good information. Yeah. It's not perfect. So it can help us determine your actual rate of success if we were trying to induce labor. Um so I have a chart okay, and it talks about dilation. So you get zero points if you're closed and you get one point if you're one to two centimeters and you get two points if you're three to four centimeters. And if you're greater than five centimeters, it's three points. And then that position, that posterior is zero points. The middle is one point. The anterior is two points. And then effacement, you have zero to 30% efface. So not very thin at all, zero points. 40 to 50% is one point. 60 to 70% is two points. And 80% is three points. And then that consistency firm is zero. You see where I'm going with all of that. I do. Medium is one and soft is two. And then position minus three is zero. Minus two is one. Minus one to zero is two. And plus one to plus two is three points. So for an example, because I just threw a lot of numbers out there. If your cervix is three to four centimeters, that's two points. If it's anterior position, that's two points. If it's zero to 30% effaced, that's zero points. So you're still at four. If it's firm, you're still at four because that's zero points. And if you're at minus one station, that's two additional points and it gives you six points. Okay. Okay. Yep. 
So when we're considering an induction of labor, we take into account all of that measurement plus the reason for considering induction in the first place. So if, um, if you're thinking about an elective induction because you're at the end of your pregnancy and you're like, I'm so done with this, maybe ask for a cervical exam and see where you're at on your Bishop score. Because if you're at a five, you're less likely to succeed for an induction than if you're an eight or more. But that's all so subjective. Mm -hmm. So five points or less, labor is unlikely to start naturally. Do we have time to wait? Or is there a medical reason that we're considering an induction? Right. Um, and so those are the things you have to think about. Because sometimes you don't have time to wait. We just have to be a little bit more patient with mm -hmm. the induction process. Right. It's tricky. It is. Um, if you're six to seven points on the Bishop score, it may or may not be successful an in induction. So, you know, kind of a toss up. But if you're eight or more points, likely labor would start soon and you'd be more likely to have a successful induction of labor. Does that make sense? Makes sense to me. So <laughs> it's super important to remember that cervical exams are really not predictive, right? So there are general, many general generalities. Am I making a word up? I might be. Maybe. No. Gener There's a many generalizations. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so a great Bishop score could lead to a birth in two or three weeks. Mm -hmm. And a Bishop score that was less than five could have a baby the next day. You just really don't know. Yeah. It's all quite a mystery, this business. Yeah. It's yeah. just a guideline. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of want to talk about methods that people use that will ultimately ripen the cervix, but not necessarily cause induction, mm -hmm. but could cause an induction naturally um, of labor. So, you know, maybe having a baby within 24 to 72 hours, which is kind of a non-medicine way mm -hmm. to kind of convince your body to go into labor. Some of these are recommended and some are not. Okay. Okay. So the first thing I want to talk about is nipple stimulation. Okay. Uh, it's my favorite thing. Yeah. Because it just makes sense in my brain. Right. So um, nipple stimulation itself is where you take, um, there's different techniques, but there's breast stimulation and nipple stimulation. So if you take your thumb and your two fingers and you're rubbing your nipples, essentially, mm -hmm. that's nipple stimulation. Right. <laughs> um, and so some will say, do 60 seconds on, five minutes off, 60 seconds on, five minutes off. Mm -hmm. But you can even pump um, for 15 to 30 minutes, three times a day, depending on where you are in your gestation. You should always talk to your provider always before you do anything like this. Yes. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so that's nipple stimulation and the thought process is that it just kind of gets things going. Things going. So Actually. here's the evidence on that. Okay. Okay. So there was a Cochrane review in 2005. Remember our Cochrane reviews are the reviews. It takes all of the information regarding one thing and they throw out the studies if they, they're not good. And mm -hmm. then they um, kind of combine the studies that are good to see if the results match. So um, this Cochrane review in 2005 included six trials and it had 719 participants. And um, in all the studies, participants performed self-breast and nipple, nipple stimulation. So that's important because mm -hmm. it could be a variant um, in data. Um, stimulation was one breast at a time. And in two trials, stimulation was done for one hour per day for three days in a row. And in three of the trials, it was done for three hours per day, one hour at a time. Okay. And in one study, they used a pump on normal mode and alternated sides every 15 minutes until contractions occurred every three minutes. Okay. I don't know how long that would take. Yeah. It could have been a lot. It could have been a really long time, actually. <laughs> so in the five studies that compared nipple stimulation to no intervention, there was an increase in number for women who went into labor within 72 hours. Okay. So in the stimulation group, it was 37% oh. versus 6% in the non-stimulation. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. That's pretty significant. Yeah. Isn't that and that's not, do that's not like even, that's just your own body doing its thing. Yeah. Yeah. With just a little extra love. With a little extra love. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So interestingly, they found that it decreased uh, postpartum hemorrhage risk as wow, well. Wow, really? From um, 0.7 in the stimulation group versus 6% in the non Wow. Group. Yeah. That's really significant. Yes. I, that's weird. I, why? I, why? Well, <laughs> I, I wonder if it's toning the muscle. Okay. Work more effectively. But okay. That can work against you. Right. When it's too many right. contractions for too long, it can yeah. make it um, weaker. Right. Um, I don't know. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. Huh. Um, so a more recent study showed in 2014, um, in India, there were 200 women. A hundred were assigned to watch this video on how to do the, so there was education. Okay. So how to do this breast or nipple stimulation and massage. And they performed it 20 minutes, three times a day, starting at 38 weeks. Okay. And then there was a hundred women who were instructed not to do it or were not instructed to do it. Right. Um, and so Bishop scoring, we just talked about mm-hmm. that, was done at 38 weeks and 39 weeks. Okay. So there's some you know, conclusive data that can, it's subjective, but it also, if the same person is checking, it should be relatively right. good. Right. Because the same person usually has the same standards yes. all across the board. Sure. So the Bishop scored significantly changed after one week in the breast stimulation group versus the control group. Um, the breast stimulation group went into labor sooner as well. Isn't that crazy? This seems like a pretty good so method. It was 39 in two weeks versus 39 in five weeks. Okay. But that's still three days. Three days, yeah. And at the end of pregnancy, three days seems like three yeah. years. Yeah. Yeah. They also had significantly lower cesarean rates. Oh, wow. 8% in the breast stimulation group versus 20% what? in the non-stimulation group. I just feel like maybe this should be a thing. Well, I generally talk to my patients about it. Do you? pretty often and actually saving the cluster because it's yeah no I was gonna goals. say yeah yeah um I think what happens is that you're ripening the cervix mm-hmm. so even if labor doesn't start it still starts at a at a softer space than mm-hmm. if it was a hard rock and labor hit does well, that make and then, sense yeah. and so then it, it decreases your risk of right well that's why outcomes. it just seems like this everyone should be doing this then right I mean yeah, if, if there if there yeah if there's no other contraindications because there could be sure yeah but i mean if it's going to decrease the cesarean rate and decrease your chances of a hemorrhage like right that's like a huge those are two huge things yeah aside from the whole induction thing yeah now um there was a study done in 2017 that did not show preterm birth if you were breastfeeding so there are moms that are pregnant who are still breastfeeding their previous Mm -hmm. child that they had and so the it it says, oh, man, am I going to cause myself to go into preterm labor oh, because I'm breastfeeding? So right. that's technically stimulating the breast. Right. Well, why on earth wouldn't that cause labor? And right. then all of a sudden it causes labor? That doesn't make sense. Right. But the um, receptor sites, mm-hmm. the oxytocin receptor yeah. sites in the uterus do not develop until the end of pregnancy. Oh, well, that works out then, yeah. huh? Yeah. Yeah. So the theory is that it doesn't cause preterm labor because those receptors don't fully present themselves in term gestation or 36 weeks. Sure. Yeah. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. I've actually wondered that. Yeah. Yeah. So uterine tachycystole is a thing. And what that is, is too many contractions in a row that often we say it's more than five and 10 minutes and babies don't love that generally. Um, Sometimes it can happen and you don't even know it and babies don't care, but when they are happening and babies do care, it can cause fetal decelerations. So it's really, really important to avoid that complication. But if you're overstimulating your nipples, this can happen. Mm-hmm. So you never want to do this without getting guidance. Mm-hmm. And I feel like all clinical practitioners recommend nipple stimulation in a different yeah. way. And it could be, have you had a cesarean before? Have sure. you not? Is this your first time? Is it your third time? Um, how close are you to the hospital? And so your provider might recommend something different to you. So. Sure. Just make sure you're talking to them about it, and then they're gonna um, they're gonna tell you about how they want you to do it, the frequency they want you to mm-hmm. do it, how often you should do it, per their comfort, right? With your history, right? So make sure you talk to them about it, yeah, because it could be something you should do, yeah, yeah. Sounds great. Do you have questions about? I don't think so. I just learned some things. Good. I love teaching you because 
I think you know everything. I don't know everything. I I know like you do. I feel like you know everything too. So this works out. Neither one of us know anything. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I wanted to talk a little bit about acupressure. Okay. And that is where you're like triggering acupressure points or trigger points um, on your body. And there's not a whole lot of um, studies that support its effectiveness in um, inductioning labor or ripening it. However, there are studies that show a change in Bishop score after okay. 48 hours of doing it. Okay. And um, especially if it's done regularly four times a day for 20 minutes, it's really hard to get people to be committed to four times a day for 20 minutes. Cause that's a lot of time. It is a lot of time. But when you want to have a baby, sure. You'll put in the work. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And if you don't have other things. Yeah. So interestingly, acupressure during labor has been shown to decrease anxiety and Mm. pain during the labor process. Mm -hmm. We had a midwife who used to do that. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. She's, and she would just go in there and I'd see her pressing on people's feet. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's sort of point there, the one Mm -hmm. on the shoulder. I've, Mm -hmm. I've done it for people before. Yeah. Just touch itself. Yeah. Is an acupressure. Mm -hmm. It's not really, but you know what I mean? Like the healing touch or just Mm -hmm. the presence of. Right. Hands on your body, it can be really helpful. Yeah. But these are targeted areas mm-hmm. for anxiety. And um, if your partner can learn how to do it, yeah, it's great. Yeah. Um, we need more research with quali- um, high quality studies to determine its effectiveness. It, you know, it's just not super. There's not a lot of research. There's not a lot it. of We're research. kind of like anecdotal fancy, type. Uh, fancy. Sure. You know? So there's not a whole lot of money behind researching. Right. Pressure. Right. <laughs> you know, um, acupuncture is of the same family, but it requires a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So there was a couple of studies done on acupuncture. And um, one was done in Denver of 125 moms. They were assigned to acupuncture and placebo. So they... We're either getting real acupuncture or pretend acupuncture. I'm I, how do you do pretend acupuncture? Well, because you could do it, but not so far in. You're, okay. You could do it, but not at the right points, the trigger points. Okay. Okay. I don't okay. know. Exactly. Sure. I didn't sure. look into exactly how they placeboed it. Right. But um, all of the moms were 41 and 6. Oh, wow. In this study. So farther along in their gestation. Yeah. Okay. Um. There were trained individuals that administered acupuncture at 8 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. if the mom wasn't in labor yet. Okay. Okay. And those who had acupuncture had a higher average bishop score after 24 hours. Okay. So. I'm just thinking these ladies at 42 weeks, like. I know. These ladies. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of people that go to 42 There are. I feel like. Yeah. I feel like there's been a lot. Yeah. 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 Um, there's another study done in Brazil. Now these aren't high numbers, right? Right. We just don't have lots of great data, but there are 67 people, women in this small study. Um, it's very interesting. Oh, and it was electro acupuncture. Okay. Okay. So there were six acupuncture points every seven hours in one to three seven um, sessions over 24 hours. Okay. And this was done in the hospital setting with a doctor who had 10 years of acupuncture experience on pregnant women. Okay. So somebody who knew who he, who he was doing, what he was doing, controlled time and the place. And they also had a control group with women receiving mesoprostol. Oh. Which is an, an induction, an a- like right. a medical yeah. induction or ripening agents right. to the cervix. We know that that ripens the cervix. Right. And that was given every six hours vaginally for the 24 hours. Okay. There was a higher average bishop score with um, the electro acupuncture. Really? Versus the mesoprostol. Okay. That is highly, highly interesting. It's very interesting. Very intriguing. Very, very interesting. Um, I think that the number is too small to count. To real, yeah. And uh, what was the dosage of the vaginal? Sure. Yeah, I would like to know that too. All of those things matter. Mm-hmm. But I just thought it was very interesting. Yeah, mm-hmm. that is very interesting. Yeah. Because that's one of our primary methods right. at the hospital. And then they say, well, um, what about acupuncture? Is it safe in pregnancy? Mm-hmm. And people do die from acupuncture when they're not pregnant. But generally, those are non 
they're like high uh, risk placements for this acupuncture that's occurring. And it, you know, it's um, not on pregnant people and uh, it's a little bit more risky. So people do come away with damage, but for pregnancy um, and the points that they do, there was no miscarriage, preterm birth or obstetric complications okay. that could be attributed to acupuncture. Sure. So as long as you're going to somebody who's reputable, right. Who knows what they're doing, right. knows the right things. It could be a be reasonable, helpful. helpful thing yeah. to make you feel like you're also not just sitting around and waiting for something to arbitrarily happen. Right. It will arbitrarily happen eventually. <laughs> eventually. But it's nice to feel like you're doing something. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So my next thing. Yeah. Is even dates. Okay. This is new to me. I Patients have been coming in talking about all the dates they've been eating. Yeah. And then you had talked about dates. So I'm like, they must be Christina's eating dates. <laughs> <laughs> all these dates. So um, where these ideas come from, I have no idea. But it always amazes me how we link food. To yeah. Oh my gosh. Things. I went, yeah, I went and had some Mexican spicy. I, I don't really like real spicy stuff, but I was definitely like 39 and a half weeks going and eating the, the you know, spicy, Mexican spicy food and, make it, and it didn't work. That is on my, um, to research. Okay. For, uh, for part, part two. two. Mm-hmm. Nice. I haven't gotten there yet. Okay. I am curious about it, but it is on my list. Yeah. So we'll see if there's any good evidence. Mm-hmm. There might not be. You know how that goes. Yeah. Um, so, oh, I lost my place. Dates. Dates. Oh, yeah. So it always, um, it's always crazy. Like dates. Who would have thought dates? Who would have thought dates? Right? Now, do they have to be prepared a certain way? No. Okay. So let me give you the research. Okay. And then I'll tell you the why behind it. Okay. Okay. So in 2013, there was a study of 182 nulibris, never had babies before Mm -hmm. women between the ages of 18 and 35. And they all presented at the same hospital. Oh, 91 of these pregnant women had consumed 70 to 76 grams of dates daily from 37 weeks. How many dates is that? Well, it depends on if they're pitted or not pitted. (laughs) (laughs) I know. So if, if it's not pitted, and the pit's still in it, then it's about five, four to five dates. Okay. And if they're pitted, it's about six to seven to me. Okay. A day. A day. Okay. Yeah. And um, the other, so they started at 37 weeks every day. And then the other 91 women did not consume dates at all. Mm-hmm. Okay. This study showed that the women that consume dates in late pregnancy was effective in decreasing the length of labor and reduced the need for oxytocin. Wow. Mm-hmm. But why dates? You why say? dates? Yeah. Why? That's just random. What's in what? dates? Well, so when you think about your uterus, it's a smooth muscle mm-hmm. and smooth muscles need energy. They need about 20 to 400 times more than skeletal muscles. Okay. Okay. The best way to get the energy that they need is in fat acids, mm-hmm. which provides muscles with more energy than just glucose or sugar. Okay. Okay. Dates have this. Okay. So fatty acids play an important part in making prostaglandins apart from providing energy. Okay. So, so what I'm saying yeah. is that eating dates increases your prostaglandins. Yeah. Okay. And Increased prostaglandins cause uterine contractions, okay, which in turn helps store energy and strengthens your uterine muscles. Ah, interesting. Isn't that crazy how that works? Yeah. So with this in mind, it can play a part in preventing postpartum hemorrhage. Mm-hmm. Um, it can play a part in spontaneous labor and speeding up your labor, labor progress because your smooth muscle of the uterus mm-hmm. is just more efficient. Yeah. Wow. That's fascinating. Yeah. But remember, your oxytocin receptor sites don't happen until right. more term. Mm-hmm. So eating dates early isn't going to be problematic. Okay. Very good. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it is. But that's how dates work. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. So it's a nice way to like prime and prep your uterus yeah. to work effectively. For right. You. Right. It's unlikely going to put you into, into labor, labor, but it's yeah. certainly going to ripen things well for you. Yeah. Nice. Okay, yeah. cool. So then I want to talk to you about, are you getting bored? No. Okay, good. I like this stuff. Um, blue and black cohosh. Yeah, I don't really know much about it. 
the only things that I remembered from school is like, don't do that. And mm-hmm. I'm like, really? That's not a good reason for me. Mm-hmm. So I want to know no, more why, about yeah. it. I've always been scared of it, but I wanted to have a reason mm-hmm. to be scared of it mm-hmm. if I should be. Um, and I think with the research, um, it, it's probably in a higher risk category. Okay. Um, okay. So blue cohosh grows throughout North America. It's, um, I put in plant form, but it's in plant form. Okay. <laughs> and the roots of the flower are used medicinally. Okay. And it's important to know that blue and black cohosh are not from the same fam- family of oh, plants. Weird. Okay. Right. They're not related, but they're often used together. So it's very confusing. People think that they coincide. Okay. And they do, but they also don't. Okay. Okay. So blue cohosh was um, traditionally used by Native Americans to treat gynecologic issues, Mm -hmm. uh, to induce or augment labor, or to reduce the pain of childbirth, and to also induce labor. Okay. Which always makes me wonder, how does it help if it causes pain? Like, if it causes contractions, how does it also then help relieve pain? But maybe it's because it makes it go faster. Okay. I don't know what the thought is there. Okay. But it was often taken as a really strong tea, but it's really bitter. So now usually you can find the uh, root powder in like a capsule or a tincture. Okay. Um, and I already mentioned this, but uh, black cohosh was, was also used for like GYN issues, okay. but it's not the same class of plant. Okay. And they're often used together. Okay. There are no stu- studies or observational None trials at all. Zero, really, on blue or black cohosh. So oh. it's bright. Yeah. So just don't do it. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> well, I like research. Right. So here's the thing. <laughs> I like research. <laughs> research helps. <laughs> yeah. Us make decisions. Right. But I think that this is so. There are okay. So there is some research with animals. But this is such a high topic of right. concern um, scientifically that there's not going to be much studies done on it, I don't think. Right. It would be nice because it um, it could be beneficial. Sure. But there have been some pretty gnarly outcomes. Okay. And I'm going to go through those. Okay. So um, we don't have any studies other than on animals, but we have case reports. Okay. Whenever there's a case report and you can link it specifically to an herb, it's generally not good. <laughs> right. Right. So I'm going to go through the case studies. Okay. I think that they're interesting. And I, I, I like the gnarly things. Mm-hmm. So, and I want to know why um, we might not just know why ever, but the first case was a 39 year old who is a gravitone one. Um, never had a baby before, uh, consumed, she consumed several doses of black cohosh to induce her labor. She had severe hyponatremia, okay. no, mm-hmm. which is low levels of sodium in the blood. Mm-hmm. And her sodium level was 114. Okay. Where 132 to 145 mm-hmm. is normal. Yeah. So she had severe hyponatremia, mm-hmm. which is a medical emergency mm-hmm. because it can cause brain damage or death. Mm-hmm. And so she was treated for this hyponatremia and then successfully gave birth. Oh, good. So there's the one. Okay. Okay. So it doesn't tell us how much she had. Right. It doesn't tell us who prepared it for her, or how it was prepared. It just that this was the cause mm-hmm. after she took it. Case two was a 24-year-old gravita one, parent zero, so that's first-time mama. She drank blue cohosh tea to induce her labor. She gave birth via cesarean to a newborn who then had a stroke. Oh. The dose of the prep process of this was unknown, and when they tested the baby's urine and the meconium, or the stool, the bowel movement that the baby had, they found cocaine metabolite. So then they tested the bottle of blue cohosh and the contents that she took from a sealed bottle of the same preparation of the herb and the com- the the contents were the same. And you don't generally get cocaine <laughs> um, metabolite in 
glucohash. So they're thinking that it was a cross reaction or a misread on. Not that the mother had consumed cocaine? Well, right. That's what I was thinking. Maybe the mom consumed cocaine. Right. We'll just never know. But it seemed like it came from that is what they were thinking because they tested the contents of the stuff. Okay. Okay. But they were thinking that maybe the lab was just reading it wrong. Oh, weird. And they went and they got a sealed bottle. Right. And so, and it was the same manufacturer in a, a, sure. Who knows? Right. So there's so many variables there, but that was a baby who had a stroke. Yeah. And that's an issue. And they think it's from. Okay. This preparation. Yeah. Wow. So not great data. Yeah. Doesn't like say, oh, this is a problem, but it certainly led to that. And so it's like, oh, what is the problem? Right. You know? So then case three was a 36-year-old mom who had babies before. It's not her first pregnancy. She took blue cohosh to induce her labor. She gave birth to a newborn who subsequently had a heart attack. Then the newborn had heart failure and then went into shock. And her labor was precipitous. Mm -hmm. It was less than one hour. Wow. And she was 41 weeks gestation. And she reported taking three times the dose that was recommended to her by her provider. Thanks. She took three tabs a day for three weeks. And we don't know how much the dose was in the tablets. So there's somebody who actually did a uh, research study on like dosing. And I didn't get into all of that. But it seems like this person in particular took three times the recommended amount mm-hmm. for three weeks in a row. Um, <laughs> don't ever do that. Yeah, don't do that ever. We do yeah. yeah. So this newborn was critically ill for several weeks. Wow. And then all other possible causes of a heart attack were believed to be ruled out. And so it's thought to be the blue cocosh that caused it. Sure. But was it because it's not safe to take in one time the dose? Or is it because she overdosed herself right. by three times as much as we right. recommended? Yeah. Um, the baby was receiving therapy for heart failure um, at two years of life when they checked in. Yeah. Wow. And then case four was a combination of blue and black cohosh that was taken by a woman who was 41 weeks, six days. And her dosage or preparation that she took was unknown. The APGAR scores of this baby were low and resuscitation was attempted at um, by the birth attendants, and then the baby was transferred to the hospital. Um, this infant had severe multi-organ injury due to the low oxygen levels and permanent brain damage. But was it blue cohosh, mm-hmm. or was it the birth itself? Sure. Or not having readily immediate sure Inter- like interventions when yeah. there was a problem? Mm-hmm. We'll never know. Yeah. So, well, I say if there's other ways. Eat the dates. Eat the dates. Uh, uh, nipple stimulation. Nipple stimulation. Yeah, I. You know, I mean, why just? It's sad because yeah. these these four cases are kind of really not a hundred percent sure. Like, hey, this is bad, right? But it's bad enough that you don't even want to risk, risk it. it. Yeah, and so then you're like, okay, well then. How do you move forward and even trying yeah. on a human, right. first of all? Or animals, for that matter. I don't like Yeah, it would have to. Team, I feel like it would have to be some kind of retroactive study. Not, I mean, it's not ethical to give no. pregnant women really right. anything. The like thing that. is, is like, uh, retrospective studies, who's going to... Right, then there's no... There's the it's the whole subjective data, right? It's, it's just like those right there, those studies. There's not really good way to get good data and this these four studies are the horrible outcomes right how many hundreds and thousands of women are taking it and it's fine you know yeah it's just statistically we can't say that scientifically it's okay or medically sound to be taking these medications yeah there were some animal studies which I always think is really sad. But, but you have to study on animals before you study on humans. Well that is (laughs) true. Um and these studies that were done on animals do show that it's a possible contributor to birth defects. Okay. So 
they show that it disrupted heart development uh, and skull face development in oh, fish embryos. Oh, wow. Interesting. Mm-hmm. It did increase uterine contraction strength in mice, rabbits, guinea pigs, turtles, and frogs. So it does increase your contraction. Like okay. it does work okay. in that way. But what are what else mm-hmm. is happening? But rats, when they took rat embryos and they exposed the herb even at really low doses, it was lethal. Oh time. wow. Oh wow. Yeah. Yeah. I just say just why even, you know. So even more interestingly, they looked at the blue cohosh on a cellular level mm-hmm. and they um they looked at three hundred and fifty-two different species of plants and organisms, which I thought was crazy. Yeah. Who has the time to do this? <laughs> A biologist. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and mitochondria of cells were disrupted by blue cohosh, ah. which is what they think is the link to the cardiovascular sure. effects or the cardiotoxicity that occurs. Yeah. And who knows? Yeah. Just don't do it. Right. So it helps contraction strength, but it doesn't appear to cause it, but it does appear. It does appear to cause birth defects mm-hmm. and potential toxicity to both fetuses and hearts. Yeah. And the general recommendation in medicine is to not take these herbs. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. I'm leaving you there. Oh, wow. Cause that was heavy. It's intense. <laughs> <laughs> I just didn't really know about that. That's yeah. No. So I'd always told people that I don't recommend it mm-hmm. because I knew that that was the recommendation, but I never knew why. Mm-hmm. And now I have stories of why, yeah, you know, um, or potentially why. Or pot- yeah. And then if you decide that you're the person who wants to take those medications, okay, well, but just know your yeah. provider, yeah, get um, what their recommended dosing mm-hmm. would be, because some midwives um, I know mm-hmm. use it and use it regularly. Um, I just don't know what their preparation is. Sure. I don't know what their dosing is, and I, I haven't dabbled in it enough to tell you good or right. bad outcomes from my own personal experience. Right. Um, but you know, if it's something that you're thinking that you want to do for you, you go do it with your provider's consent and, um, recommendations. recommendations. Yeah. 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 So nipple stimulation. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Nipple stimulation dates. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What did you think? Do you have any questions? No, that was really great. I'm looking forward to the part two. So, yeah. Oh, and don't forget acupressure. I feel oh, yeah, like it's acupressure. under. Yeah. I feel like it's underrated most often because mm-hmm. um, it seems it's like holistic care, but I feel like there's power in holistic yeah. care. Yeah, totally. And just there's power in the maintenance of your personal body. Yeah. So if you're going in and having somebody spend time and decided time on you, that's gonna be nothing but helpful. Yeah. If if not to start labor, to to make you feel better, right? And that in turn helps you be ready for labor. Yeah. yeah. If you think about, you know what I mean? No, totally. So I think all of those things, um, minus the blue black cohash, I yeah. would recommend, and I yeah. think you should try them out. Yeah, very good. And then, do you want to know what I'm gonna? Yeah, I do. I'm curious. Yeah. So, on my to do, mm-hmm. which I've already started researching some of it, is evening primrose oil. Okay. Castor oil. Yeah. Membrane sweeps. Okay. Pineapple. Okay. Raspberry leaf tea. Yeah. And spicy food okay. slash bumpy car rides. Yeah. Um, hypnosis. Oh, hypnosis. Exercise and curb walking. Okay. And intercourse. Wow, that's a lot. I know, but I think that the less in <laughs> less I think in- it's less intense topics. Okay. Maybe it'll be three parts. I doubt it. Okay. I think that like exercising this, you know. Sure. I'm probably not going to spend, right. you know, 10 minutes talking about all the right. data. Right. Maybe I will. <laughs> I am long-winded, so it could be three parts. Okay. Well, that was awesome. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I hope you guys feel enlightened. Yeah. Spread love and laughter. Yeah. Oh, man. We didn't say just, like, share your... Share. Yeah. Oh, man. We're terrible. Should Should we just do the... Should we just tell them about that? I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to say it because we already talked about it. So I know. I know. (laughs) 
<laughs> anyway, um, so we need your stories. And we, we just have not been getting very many stories recently. And we've got to have them. We need more of your yeah. mamas, your friends, yep. your so I think what we decided to do, well, I, I'm just, we're just deciding to do it because yeah. we're putting it out there is that if right now, I don't think we have a date as a cutoff. So for right, right now, if you send in your birth story or your veggie tale or whatever story it is that you want to share, we with will, your address. with your address, you'll have to put your address on there. We will send you two, two of our stickers, one for you and one for a friend. Yes. So send in your stories, veggie yep. tales. It could be, um, any type of story. Yeah. Anything like you've heard on our, yeah. that we tell. A birth that, adventure. Yeah. Um, anything that you want to share. Yeah. We will send you a couple stickers. So when you, we'll have to just make sure the forms are all correct for so address. So we're going to make sure that the forms are correct. Yeah. <laughs> so and, you could have a place for your address. Yeah. And if you're wanting a sticker um, or two stickers, one for you and one for your friend, send your story with your address. Yeah. And if and, you want to be completely anonymous, then I... I don't Remember, have, you don't have, you to don't have to, stuff. yeah, you don't have to put your stuff. You we can't send you a sticker, but we don't have to name. Oh, that's Just true. Your address. Oh yeah. 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 You can be a hundred percent anonymous. You can. Here. We don't yeah. mind. Yeah. So I hope you do. Yeah. If you send your story. Yeah. I have crazy things that yeah. I could talk about uh, me. You guys have heard numbers yeah. of stories of my own personal yeah. mishaps. There's all so, kinds of stories out there. Share them. Also, if you have the time, give us a review. Yeah, we like, would appreciate follow, it. Like, follow, share. Yeah. Where do they send their stories? So you go to www.theaos411.com. Or if you think email is the way to go, you can email us at theaos411 at gmail.com. Yeah, very good. All right. Okay, that's it. Cheerio. Spread love and laughter. <laughs> Bye. Bye.